Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Several years ago, I was preaching camp meeting and was on my way home. Brian Gilpin was with me that night, and we anticipated getting in late. And a uh, cell phone rang, and Raymond Culpepper, the assistant general overseer of the Church of God and personal friend for many years, called and said, Jerry, the man who was supposed to do a pastor's conference for us tomorrow in South Georgia just called and said he wouldn't be able to make it. He's sick and unable to come. And he said, would you go and uh, do that pastor's conference? I said, Raymond, you caught me with one, one day's notice. I said, not even a day. I said, I'm not home. I won't be home till probably midnight tonight. I don't have a handout. I don't have a presentation to make, no visual things, no PowerPoint, no nothing. And uh, he said, well, if you'll just go yourself, that'll be sufficient. Brian Kilbin said, well, I'll drive for you down there if you want, want me to. I said, well, hey, I need somebody to drive because i got to study all the way down there. Never will forget riding down, down the road in the Spirit of the Lord, moving in that car as we went to Tifton, Georgia, and uh, got out and went in, and Raymond was coming out who had done the morning session, and I was to do the afternoon session. And uh, I said, you're going to stay and help me now, aren't you? He said, no, I've got to go. He said, it's all yours. Wow. And the pastors of South Georgia were all assembled there. So somebody said, well, I don't like to preach to preachers. I love to preach to preachers. Praise the Lord. You don't have to lay, lay near, near as much groundwork and foundation work with preachers as you do with members. Amen. Preachers are supposed to know what you're talking about when you talk about the post-exilic period and those kind of things. They're, they're supposed to know that. And we just started talking, and I preached some of the material that I'm going to use here this morning. I preached it in conferences, pastors' conferences, and growth conferences all over the country. And I still believe it's what uh, churches need today. The story of Nehemiah and the story of his success in doing what God called him to do. Well, I walked in that pulpit in South Georgia and, and the tabernacle down there and, and began talking to them about uh, the goodness of God and how Nehemiah was stirred and how God used him. Talked about some of the things that God uh, does and talked about the eagles and I talked about uh, the an eagle who stirs up her nest, and we're going to talk about some of that today, and how that God put him on the wall, and he had a trowel in one hand, and had a sword in the other hand, and the title of that sermon is Building and Battling, and uh, what the Holy Ghost did in that uh, service there in South Georgia, Ray Garner was the overseer there, kin to our good brother Jay over there, and those preachers in the, right in the middle of that, the Holy Ghost just dropped a bombshell right in the middle of that place. And it exploded right over the heads of those pastors. And they started crawling on their hands and knees toward the altar area. And God let us have such a move of the Holy Ghost there that Saturday afternoon. Men laying prostrate on the floor before God. You see, that's what revival is. That's what revival is made up of. You see, if the Holy Spirit doesn't bless it and touch it and anoint it and empower it, 
then it, it won't do what we expect and need it to do. Amen. We need the Holy Ghost to do what he does uh, when it concerns the Word of God. I walked out, Brian and I walked out, stepping over pastors laying in the aisle, seeking God. What a, what a powerful move of the Holy Ghost. We got up about to Macon on the way back, coming back to Anniston, and, and the overseer down there, Ray Garner, called me on the phone, and he said, Jerry, those men are still here. He said, no one has left. I said, they're still there. He said, yes. He said, they're still here. The next morning, I got up and went to, to my office. And I was sitting at the desk and, and studying for coming to events like this today, preaching in the service. And Ray Garner called me. And he said, Jerry, it's unbelievable. He said, my phone has rung off the wall with pastors today saying, I can't wait to get to my pulpit today to preach. I can't wait to preach what God gave us yesterday. You see, God's Word is quick, and it's powerful. That means it's alive, and it's full of authority, and it's full of enabling ability. Jesus said to the disciples in Acts 1 and 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world. He sent us out as witnesses. Every one of us in this house is a witness. And witnesses do what? What do witnesses do? Judge back there would tell us witnesses testify. They've got a testimony. And if you don't have the truth of the testimony, oh, glory to God, then you can't make a case. Amen. For us to make a case to the world that we are the people of God, we've got to have a testimony. We've got to have an identity. Because if you don't have an identity and you don't have a testimony, then you don't have influence. And you can never win the world until you reach a place that you've got influence in the world. That you're making a difference in the world. That's why we give away food. That's why we do all the things that we do. Give blankets to the, the indigent and give, give a warming, put up warming stations around for people that are homeless. You do those things because you want your witness to be, we love people. We care about people. We care about the fact that you're hurting. We care about the fact that you're cold. We care about the fact that you're, you're grief-stricken or that you're burdened in some other way. We care. And churches that care are churches that grow. Because people don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. How much you care. And I'm afraid in these last days that we're losing our witness and losing our testimony. We're losing the thing that you've got to have in order to survive and grow as a church. You've got to have the power of the Holy Ghost to anoint His Word and make His Word effectual, fervent, uh, prayerful, uh, delivery of the Word of God. Amen. The Bible said all Scripture is profitable. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's profitable. What is all of Scripture profitable? It's profitable, number one, for reproof. Why does God give us a gospel that reproves people? Because we love you too much to let you be wrong. 
We love you. God loves you so much He doesn't want you to be ill-informed. God loves you so much that He wants you to, if you're doing something that is not in His will, that you quit doing that and find His will and get in His will. Amen. I told the class Wednesday night, and they just kind of chuckled and laughed at me. Whitney said it was kind of like sitting in a theology course, probably so, because you couldn't pronounce a lot of the words. The folks taking notes couldn't spell some of them. I understand. But listen, if the Bible, God's Word, preached Word, it hath pleased God, who wants to please God? It hath pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And to them that perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. To the gainsaying world, what I'm about to do here this morning is foolishness. It's just rhetoric, vain rhetoric. But God has given us a word, and the word is quick, and it's powerful. It has authority. I said it has authority. One person said this last week, if we preach a gospel that is like fire shut up in my bones, if we preach a gospel that pierces like a two-edged sword, if we preach a gospel that is fire and is a sword and is a hammer that crushes the stone to powder, then what can we expect to happen when we preach a gospel that hammers, pierces, and burns? We expect people to get hammered, pierced, and burned because the gospel does that. Not the preacher. The gospel does that. The gospel is fire shut up in my bones. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the hammer that grinds the stone to powder. So what otherwise should we expect when we preach the Word, including the preacher, to expect conviction? Conviction. Has anybody in this house had the Word of God to convict you? Have you ever had the Word of God to just convict you right, right where you sit? Just uh, that, that feeling, that burden of conviction, I call it just comes down upon your heart. It's a heaviness. I said it's a heaviness. It's a burden that nothing else will do but to get rid of that conviction. And the only way to get rid of conviction is repent and be converted. So what the world needs today is somebody to cry out what Jesus said. Repent and be converted for the kingdom of God is at hand. Even the Baptist, John, baptizing believers at the Jordan in the Transjordan area, his message was repentance. Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen. How then should we expect to preach to our nations of our world? We need to tell them that God favors nations that remember him, but all nations that forget him and cast him aside, there's destruction that's predicted for them. The United States cannot afford to become a pagan nation. The United States of America cannot afford to forget God. 
It's too dangerous a world that we live in to be a country and a nation that forgets God. We cannot afford to forget Him. We must have revivals like the revival there in South Georgia on a Saturday afternoon that God just comes down. Oh, I wish God would do that again. I wish God would do that this morning right here in this service this morning. I wish God would just drop a bombshell of His power and His Spirit right here in our midst this morning that every one of us would leave here changed. Changed. Well, Brother Jerry, what do I need to change about me? Well, I don't know about you, but I got several areas I probably could pull out and put on the altar and say this, this needs to go and that needs to go and this needs to go. Amen. And the Bible tells us that we need to make to do to evaluation from time, time to time. The, the, the psalmist said, search me, O God. Search me. How long has it been since you told God, search me? How long has it been since you sat down before God, put yourself on the altar, and said, God, search me, and see if there be any wicked thing in me? Is that biblical? Sure. And see if there be, help me, Lord, to evaluate. Help me to search my own heart. Help my memory, God, to bring to, to my mind things that I need to get on the altar. And that needs to be offered to God and let God take care of that. Amen? Those are some things that you hear in revival. That's revivalist kind of language. That's, that's coming from the, the Word of God that, that tells us that from time to time... And what did the prophet do when the Lord promised? He, he said, cleanse me, O Lord. Cleanse me, O Lord. How long has it been since you got up on the table and said, Lord, here I am, cleanse me. Cleanse me. Here I am through the blood. Oh, I know I'm saved, but God, there's some, like a magnet, some things just stick to me. I pick up some things out there in my intermingling with worldly people. I, I, I find myself, a guy told me this th this week, he, he came out with a, a little word, and he looked at me, oh, 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 oh I, sorry about that, preacher. I said, hey, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. He said, oh, I, I know, I know. I said, I thought you quit that. I did, I did, I did. I don't know how that slipped out. Come on now, you know how it slips out. When you become delinquent in some of the things that you regularly ought to do, the checks that you've put in place to make sure things that you repented of stay repented of. Oh yeah, praise the Lord. Well, let's read about Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of of Hazaliah, Hazaliah, that's it. It happened to the month, in the month of Chesley, to the 20th year when I was in Susa, the capital. That means it was in Sushan, the capital. Now, this is during the exilic period. If you'll read in the Chronicles, you'll find that Israel had a habit of sinning. Israel just couldn't make it without well, you know people like that, don't you? Amen. 
When I was a teenager, I got saved in every revival. Every time my daddy had a revival, I was a statistic under the saved group. Yeah. Amen. How can born-again Christians keep from sinning? How can people who are saved? The Bible says, I, I give you these things and I send this letter to you that you sin not. Don't permit yourself to get into the habit of sinning. Don't do that. Deal with that. But if any man does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, come on church, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a maintenance program. Hey, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hazaliah, in the month of Kistev, in the 20th year while I was in the capital city of Susa, how did this child of God, this child of Israel, wind up in Persia? Have you ever shook yourself and said, how did I get here? Have you ever kind of just stopped and took took notice of what, what was going on around you and said, well, how in the world did I get like this? How in the world? It's a very subtle, slow thing. Have you ever heard of the book, The Frog and the Kettle? One? It's a, it's a, a book about a, a frog that you turn the heat up gradually. And he doesn't realize that he's in a death trap until the water gets so hot and he hadn't realized it because the progress has been so slow that he didn't realize and suddenly he's in a predicament that's going to kill him. And it happened so subtly that he didn't realize that he was in danger. He thought he was just taking a dip in the kettle. And that's the way it happens for Christians. It, it comes on slow. Satan is the most cunning and the most crafty of all individuals. Satan is the slimiest, slickest. Yeah, you get the picture. And before you know it, he'll slip up on you in some way that you just didn't think was possible. And you'll ask yourself, how did I get here? No doubt Nehemiah must have looked at himself several times and said, how in the world did I get here? Well, it was originally captured by the uh, Chaldeans, the Babylonians and was carried to Babylon. And we have that Daniel episode and those uh, three Hebrew children episode and all, all of that going on during that exilic period. But the Bible tells us that the king, Belshazzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's uh, grandson, was having a party of his life. Party to end all parties. Six months this party was going to last. He called all of his princes, all of his presidents of his provinces of the Babylonian Empire, and he called them all in, and they sat around in peacocks, trained peacocks that were brought from Tharshish to, to Babylon, were trained to carry trays on their back with cocktails and drinks on them to serve the guests of Belshazzar. 
that building where they held the party was one mile long. Wow. On the side, there were elephants that were carved out of the plaster on the walls, and there were chains of gold that stretched from one, one side of the building to the other, 1,650 feet of chains of gold. And on them hung the hanging gardens of Babylon, the seventh wonder of the world. And the king, Belshazzar, said, Go over there to the storehouse where you got those things out of the temple at Jerusalem. Go over there and get the vessels. Go over there and get the glasses. Go over there and get the dippers and get, get the punch bowls. Get, get all of that stuff and bring it over here. We're going to kind of smack these Hebrews around with their religion. We went over there and tore their temple down, burned it, tore the walls down, burned the gates, left it a smoldering mess and took their people into slavery and brought them over here to Babylon. Said, so just go over there and get those things out of storage to bring over here that we may drink out of the vessels. But you better be careful how you handle things God intended to be worship vessels and intended to be sacrifice vessels. And the Bible said as Belshazzar lifted the glass to drink his strong drink from the glass, the Bible said there was a man's hand that began to write on the wall. Come on, somebody. And the Bible said his knees unbuckled and smote one against the other. And he said, I want to know what that means on, on the wall. I've got, I need to find out that message right there. I, I can't read that. Hey, call all of my astrologers. Call the Epicureans. Call the, call the Stoics. Call all of my, my, my people, the, my star worshipers. Bring them all out here. I want to know what that says. And the man that will tell me what that says, I'll make him the third ruler in my kingdom and I'll put a chain of gold around his neck. I'll reward him greatly if you'll just let me know who... And what that means. And the Bible said they went through the ordeal. And the report came back to Belshazzar. You don't have a man in your kingdom that can inter interpret what that means. Whew. You got to know God to know his handwriting. I said you got to know him. You got to walk with him. You got to have an experience with him. If you want to interpret what he does and what he says. And the queen said, you've got a man that you captured and brought over here. His name is Daniel. And said, he's a diviner of sorts. And he deals in dreams and visions and things of that nature. Said, why don't we just call him out here and see if he can tell us what that means. And the Bible said they sent for Daniel. And Daniel came out and he looked at the handwriting on the wall and he said, yeah, I know that handwriting right there. That's my daddy's. <laughs> my daddy wrote that on that wall. The Holy Ghost. My father wrote that up there. I know exactly what it says. 
I'll make you the third ruler in my kingdom. I'll put a chain of gold around your neck. I'll make you famous. I'll make your word be authoritative. I'll give you riches if you'll just tell me what that says. And Daniel said, you can keep all of that. But said, that writing on the wall says, Mene Tike Yafarsin. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Ooh. And that night, and that night, the Persians came, redirected the Euphrates River, went under the, the bridge and went under the dike and infiltrated the city of Babylon and defeated the Babylonians and the empire fell. That night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Wow. Well, what are we going to do with all these children of God? What are we going to do with all of these, these people that we've captured, thousands of them, and brought them over here, and we've got them locked up, and they're slaves, and they're servants, and they're in bondage? What are we going to do with them? We're going to take them with us to Persia. They're going back with us to Persia, where King Darius is the king. You know him from Western civilization as Xerxes I. And when they got to Persia with these people from Israel, these Hebrew children and this Daniel a, a prophet and this Ezra a scribe and Obadiah and these people that, that were active in the religious, religious systems of, of Israel, we got them over here. What are we going to do with these people? Well, help them to blend in and help them to find work and employment. And one day, Nehemiah found out that the job was open at the palace as cupbearer. Cupbearer to the king. Good job. What do you need a cupbearer for, pastor? Well, Kings back in those days, they had people that would taste the food before they ate it and would drink the wine before they drank it to see if it was poison or not. So Nehemiah got a job. Can you believe Nehemiah got this job? Ate the best food money could buy. Slept in a wonderful place in the palace and won the respect of the, king, of the king of Persia. That's that same king that went down to check on Daniel, you know, when he'd passed a, a law that anybody that worshipped any other god besides him, uh, the people the, that got jealous of Daniel and jealous of, of God's people and, and uh, concocted a scheme and passed a law and got the king to, to say that if he, you were heard praying or giving praise to any other God besides him, you went to the lion's den. And if you read the account of Daniel, it says, as his custom was. In other words, they passed the rule, they passed the law, but he said, my custom is, I pray three times a day. Hey, you may not be feeling that back there, but I'm feeling it up here. My job's to get you to feel it back there like I feel it up here. Whoop, glory to God. 
He said, I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on shouting. I'm going to keep on singing. I'm going to keep on worshiping. Amen. You, you can pass those laws if you want to. But I, kind of like Peter and, and John, you know, when, after, after Pentecost, when they touched that man out there outside the, the gate, you remember that? The guy's outside the gate, and he's sitting there, and he sticks his cup up, and he says, alms, alms. And Peter must have been a church of God preacher. Because he said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I do have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible said he immediately upstood and went his way into the temple, leaping and rejoicing and praising God. It would be the equivalent of Rocky coming in that door back there, skipping and dancing and jumping and said, Praise God, he healed me when y'all prayed a while ago. Thank God, thank you, Jesus, for your touch. Bless your name, bless your name. Can you imagine what must have happened in the temple when that guy went leaping and rejoicing and praising God into the temple. Well, I happen to be one of those who think that shouldn't be an odd thing. I think that ought to be commonplace. They got arrested for it, got carried to jail, and Dr. Gamaliel said, why don't you just threaten them and beat them up a little bit and let them go because if it's of God, you can't stop it anyway. And they said, the Bible said, and straightly they threatened them that they should preach no more in this name. And they said to the magistrates, sir, we're not hesitant to answer you concerning this matter. Already made up our mind what the answer's going to be. We have determined that it's better for us to obey God than it is man. We've just made up our mind. That's, that's our answer. And that was the answer of Daniel. Daniel said, they've passed the law that you can't pray, but as my custom is, I'm going to go pray. Facing Jerusalem. And here goes the tattletales back to the king Darius. And says, did you know that you've got a man in your kingdom that disobeys your decrees? Did you know that you've got a prophet whose name is Daniel that... We caught him praying to his God. And the king said, oh, no. Now I've got to put him in a lion's den. And he said, oh, Daniel, I'm so sorry. Daniel, they tricked me. I, I am so sorry. You're my friend. Man, you helped me out. I, I love you. I, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. They tricked me and seduced me and trapped me into this. And Daniel said, don't fret. Don't fret. My God will take care of me. Don't you worry about me. I've done what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in the right place. 
It's the right time. Don't worry. God's got it. And the Bible said they locked him up down there in the lion's den. Now, we don't have any further discourse about what went on in the lion's den except the testimony of when he came up. The next morning, the king ran down the steps to get down, and he said, Oh, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you out of the mouth of the lions? And wiping the sleep out of his eye, he raised up, and he said, Oh, king, live forever. For this night, the Lord had sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, if you'll stand up for him, he'll stand up for you. If you'll be counted for him, he'll be counted for you. If you'll be where you're supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do, say what you're supposed to say, the Lord will stand by you. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He'll not let you go through any situation that would harm you if you'll just be true and faithful in your testimony. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And while, sit down, while he was serving as cupbearer, to the king, Darius, who had all this experience, had won favor with Darius. And the Bible said, one day, put it back up there for me, honey. I got to preaching a little bit, and I'm, you have to help me when I get to preaching. One of my brothers, one of my members of my church, like me, one of my brothers, came from Judah over where I used to live and where my home is, with some other men, and I asked them, I questioned them about the remnant of our brothers and sisters that had survived the exile, and also I wanted to know about how Jerusalem looked. What is, what, what's going on over there? What, what's happened over there since we've come over here to Persia? Next verse. It won't do it. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble. My brothers and my sisters that survived are in great trouble and a lot of disgrace, a lot of embarrassment, a lot of shame. The wall at Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. In other words, it was just one big rubbish heap. Just one big garbage pile. Those of you who've been with me when I went to Israel, you know how that when the Romans came and invaded, they just pushed everything up into large piles and made big hills, rubbish hills out of them, and they call them tells. A tell. Tel Aviv is the place of life. Tel Aviv. It's the place where the airport's in if you want to get fly over there, doesn't it? So here's a man got a good job. Everything going well. 
The king likes him. He eats good food, sleeps in a good place, got the king taking care of him. Everything's fine. But listen to what happened. Next verse, please. When I heard those things, when he told me that the walls were turned down and when he told me that the walls were, gates was burned and that my brethren are under great shame and great reproach, when I heard those things, I sat down and wept. I cried. Tears run down my cheeks. I sobbed. I was so shaken and so moved that I began to weep and I began to cry. How long has it been since you wanted to see a revival so bad that you'd cry about it? Not only did he cry, he wept for some days, certain days. I mourned. You know what mourning is, don't you? Well, we've been through a lot of that these last few days. Sam, our hearts have gone out to you. We love you through the mourning process. That's when you've cried all of your tears away. And all you can do is just mourn. Just mourn. Mourn. You know what mourning is? Under your breath, you're heard to say, Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Morning. How long has it been since you wanted to see people saved in these altars? So much that you've mourned about it, that you cared enough, that you were grief-stricken, and you mourned. Not only did he weep, and he mourned, look at it said, and I fasted. I fasted. Fasted? What do, you, what do you mean fasting? He said, I did without what this flesh craves for. I denied myself things that I desire and things that I want. I've said no to myself. I've fasted about it. And listen at the last part of the formula. Weep mourn, fast, and he said, and I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed unto the God of heaven. I got away from all of this world and its busyness and all the pressures and all of the things that are pertaining to life, and I got somewhere where it was just me and God. I found me a place where where the telephone wouldn't ring and where I wouldn't get any messages and I wouldn't, wouldn't be bothered with anything. I, I had to get somewhere where it was just me and God. I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, when I was a teenage evangelist driving around preaching revivals all over this country, I would pull up many times, Larry, to a church to go in and preach. They'd have old homecoming tables out there under the trees. And as I'd pull in, I'd see people gathered down there. And I'd hear men crying out to God, praying, God, save somebody in the service tonight. God, anoint the preacher tonight to preach your word. God, let your Holy Spirit 
Move among us and move upon us, O God. Let the power of God be evident in our presence. O Lord, let your glorious Holy Ghost fall. And let the power of the Spirit of God meet with us tonight, O Lord, in such a marvelous and a significant way that it will change us. Revive us again, O God, that thy people may rejoice in thee. I remember pulling up to North Birmingham to preach a revival. And they were all in a Sunday school room back in the back of the church. And you could hear them praying so loud back there that they'd drown out the singing of the choir. Because they'd got a hold of something back there they didn't want to turn loose of. Glory to God. They'd got a hold of something back there praying and touching God and God touching them that they, they wanted to linger a while and stay back there with that. I went to a church in Whitwell, Tennessee to preach a revival, and I noticed a pile of rocks out there outside the door of the church, and I wondered what that was about. And those men had gone up on the side of the mountain up there and took them some logs and built them an altar place to pray up there. And on their way to church that night, they'd pick up stones that represented a lost soul that they wanted to see saved. And they would bring it to that church, to that revival service, and they put it in that pile there, and they put those rocks there. And every night, we'd go out there and anoint with oil, pour it on them rocks. God, save this man. God, save this woman. God, save that teenager. God, Oh, I want God to send revival one more time. One more time, God. Wilt thou not revive us again? Wilt thou not stir us again, oh God? How long has it been since you were stirred? How long has it been since God stirred you? How long has it been since you stirred yourself? Put Acts 17 and 16 up there for me, please. One morning we'll go, I promise. Acts 17 and 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he sent Titus and he sent Timothy. He sent them on, on their way, and he waited in Athens. Athens, Greece, the great cosmopolitan city, the city of amphitheaters, the city of culture, the city of art, the city, capital city of the Greek empire. Here stands this little Jewish man, little in stature, but a giant spiritually. And while I was waiting for them, in Athens, they were coming back to me, and I was waiting for them. He was greatly distressed to see that that city was full of idols. If you got a King James Version, it says, he was stirred. He was stirred. While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred. 
in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Wholly given to idolatry. How long has it been since you, Nehemiah heard something that stirred him? Paul saw something that stirred him. Look at it. While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Stirred. How long has it been since you heard something that stirred you? How long has it been since you read something that stirred you? Let me ask you this. Does God's Word still stir you? When you read it, does it ever stir you? I said, when you read its pages, does it ever stir you? Does it ever move you? I had a preacher this week who was preaching about teaching and preaching. He said, there's a difference in teaching and preaching. Teaching is to inform. Preaching is to move somebody. Oh, God, move us. Oh, God, stir us. God, shake us. God, burn us. Help us, God, in Jesus' name. When he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, that next word is therefore. In other words, I can't just do nothing. I can't just calm down and cool off. I can't expect, well, he'll be, he'll be better in a few minutes. Don't, don't mess with him. Leave him alone. He'll be all right in a minute. I don't want to be all right. I want to be stirred. I said, I don't want to be all right. I want to be stirred. Because stirred, people do something. They won't be that way long. They'll do something. Therefore, because he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, therefore, he got his preaching clothes on. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily. Went to Publix every day. Because I knew there'd be a crowd over there and I could do some preaching over at the marketplace. Therefore disputed he in the market daily with them that met him. Next verse. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Listen. Don't expect the devil to sit by and let you preach that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Don't imagine that the devil is going to let you off that easy. When the man that started this church came to Anniston, they burned his tent. They took him to jail. They told him don't preach anymore. But he stood and with 17 charter members established and set forth a church of God here in Anniston, Alabama. His name was J.B. Ellis. Wow. 107 years ago. You see, the devil knows the power of the gospel. He'll fight you if you preach the gospel. He'll oppose you if you preach the gospel. He'll slander and slime and lie on you if you preach the gospel. 
Don't think that preaching the gospel doesn't have a price tag. Brother, if you're thin-skinned, and if you run when no man pursueth, brother, you won't make it long preaching the gospel. Now, you can preach a social gospel, and they'll hug you and think you're sweet and nice. But if you preach the unadulterated, infallible, inerrant truth of God's Word, and it does its crushing and hammering and, and piercing and burning, it does its work, the next thing you know, somebody's going to step up and call your names, tell lies on you. Come on. Why is it? Because the devil hates the God that's in you. Jesus said, don't be surprised when men say all manner of evil things against you falsely for my name's sake. Don't be surprised. The Bible said, don't be surprised when trials come. Don't be surprised when hardship comes, difficulty. That's just the one who fights us. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. We are bought with a price. We're the people of God. What will this babbler say? What will this tongue talker say? Others, some he seems to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus. He preached unto them Jesus. Brother, you want to stir up the devil, you start preaching Jesus. You want to see revival come, you start preaching Jesus. You want to see things change for the better, start preaching Jesus. Get a hold of God. He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Wow. Nothing but Jesus. I said nothing but Jesus. Christocentric. Jesus. Brother, sing about Jesus. Testify about Jesus. Preach about Jesus. Teach a Sunday school class about Jesus. Do your devotions about Jesus. Everywhere you go, everything you do, everything you say, let it be Christ-oriented and let it be Christ-centered. May everything you do to the glory of God be Christ. He's the principal personality of all of history. He is so powerful and so influential that your calendar is marked by his life. He is a God who is so cosmopolitan that when he hung upon the cross, they wrote in three languages, this is the king of the Jews. I want to tell you, we've got a king. And know ye not that the king of all the earth will do right? Know ye not that the king that we love and adore, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, will take care of his people? I'm telling you, if you'll take a stand, if you'll be counted for God, then God will stand up for you. Think I got a hold of it, didn't I? Come in a while ago, my brother said, you, got, you think you got a good one? I said, I think I got a good one. Now I want to tell you anything about Jesus as a good one. So I want God to do something. Culture will pressure you and push you and push you and push you. 
probably make some people mad. But culture has pushed the church and backed it into a corner. When I come up playing ball, we didn't play on Wednesday night. Y'all didn't play on Wednesday night? Why, why was that? We're in church. Church? You might have had church on Wednesday night. Church on Back when I grew up, had church on Friday night. Had young people's meeting on Friday night. You know what? My daddy liked to got run off from Hartzell, pastor in that church, because I played football on Friday night. Well, why are y'all looking at me? See, they used to schedule around churches. They respected churches. They don't do that anymore. They compete with churches. And they force you to make choices. Come on, somebody. And you're always going to love your children. You're always going to support your children. Come on, somebody. And so we just back up just a little bit more and say, well, y'all going to have Friday night then. No, that's all right. Well, next thing you know, the pressure's increased and pushed a little more. Well, y'all y'all have, have Wednesday night. Culture, you can, you can just do what you want to do. Boy, it's getting quiet in this house. You were shouting a few minutes ago. And we're down now to about an hour and 20 minutes a week. Culture has just about, I'm going to tell you, Culture's pushed me just about as far as it's going to push me. I don't care if it's just me and that little Fincher girl over there. Brother, we'll have some lights on and we'll have some service. No matter how much he pushes, no matter how much culture says, ah, yeah, that's old fogey and that's out of date. You don't have to do that. I'm here to tell you. If it's just me and that little Fincher girl, there'll be a service. There'll be a service. I said, there'll be a service. They laughed Wednesday night. We went through about 50 minutes of just word, 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 didn't we? About 50 minutes worth of just word, 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 just one right after another. And I told him, I said, the biggest knock on Jerry Irwin in this town is he'll word you to death. He'll word you to death. If you go up there on the hill to Irwin's church, it's just word, word, word. He'll just word you to death. Glory to God. Well, I don't take that as an insult and I don't take that as a as a slam against me. I take that as a, a compliment. Thank you. Thank you. Because when you push my old carcass in here and you park it right there and you, you tell people this was a Pentecostal preacher. And that's all that I am. As Papa says, I am what I am. And that's all that I am. Praise God. And I want to die preaching this gospel. Preaching this gospel. Because all of you have heard me say it, may not hear well done, but I want to hear well tried. Stand with me.
we voted last Sunday to be all in. Brother Don did a great job. Prelude, I knew it would come out that way, a prelude to what this series is going to teach us. We're going to talk about a mama eagle that stirs up her nest. That means she takes her beak, she flutters, and she gets that little eaglet up there on the edge. She says, it's time for you to fly. And she takes them on her wing, and she flops a time or two, and she starts soaring. Sometimes little eaglet hadn't got a good grip, and he slips off. And the Bible said the eagle bears the eaglet up on her wings. And it implies that God would bear you up on his wings. What we need is the stirring in the nest. I said, we need the stirring in the nest. Mm. <laughs> I thought of, a minute, I said, if I see some strange faces on Wednesday night come in, they're going to say, Brother Jerry scared the life out of me last Sunday. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll take what we've preached here today. Lord, let it sink and soak. Let people, oh Lord, this morning realize that our God is looking down upon us and that we're His representatives in this world that I am a preacher of the gospel, and that, Lord, I will give an account to you for my whole career. Now, I ask you right now, O oh Lord, to start a revival at harvest. Let it begin this morning, and let it begin with me. And let it spread to every seat in this house. And, O oh Lord, if you have to trouble our sleep, trouble our sleep. If you have to take away our appetite, then take away our appetite. Whatever needs to be done, O oh Lord, for us to be stirred, I pray that you would do that. Stir us, God. May we leave here, O oh Lord, with a determination to be better and to do better and to have a, a greater testimony and a greater witness. Dismiss us from this place, but not your care and your keeping. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen, and amen, and amen. God bless you. Well, that's right. Why don't you give God a good praise before you leave?